0: listening to the Mission Church podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. Hey, what's up, Mission Church? Pastor Travis here. It's great to be with you all this morning. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, no worries. We got you covered. All you have to do is just look down here at the bottom of the screen. Most of the verses and quotes and stuff like that will be up there for you to follow along. Now, today we're going to be starting a new teaching series during the season of Advent called Light. Now, Advent is just an old Latin term that simply means arrival. During this time of the year, Christians all over the world take time to reflect upon and look back at the first advent, that is the first coming of Jesus, while joyfully looking forward to his second advent and his second coming. Now, we have many scriptures in the Bible that give us a context for how we are to view this time of the year. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, we read this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light a light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Think about what Isaiah is talking about there. He says, before Jesus came, before this light came into the world, the people of God were waiting in the what? In the dark. But as we await Jesus' second coming, we are not waiting in the dark, but we are waiting in the what? The light. Why is that? It's because Jesus has come and Jesus, friends, is coming again. And as we look at our text this morning, we're going to see that this light has come into the world, this Jesus has come come into the world to be God with us. So before we dive into our text, I would like to invite you to pray with me, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and we thank you for your love and your grace. And I just pray, Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, we ask for you to speak to us today through your word. Help us to see the good news that Jesus is, in fact, Emmanuel, God with us. And may we find our ultimate joy and treasure in Him this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years, I've talked with people who have either been afraid or are currently afraid of the dark. And when I was a senior in high school, I had the opportunity to go on a senior class retreat. We went to a very rural area of Kentucky, a campground that had some cabins that was surrounded by a really thick forest. Now, when we got off that bus, my friends and I instantly jumped off, threw our stuff into a cabin, and took off running into those woods to explore. One of the teachers yelled for us to be back before dinner but we didn't pay any attention to that. We ran down this hill and we ended up up finding what appeared to be some abandoned railroad tracks. With that one of my buddies wanted to explore and see where those tracks led to and so we took off walking. Now we paid no attention to the time and as we were walking along we noticed it started to get dark but it also started to rain. We decided to turn around and head back and when we did one of my buddies asked for a flashlight and we realized something. Each and every one of us had left our flashlights in our cabins in our bags. As we were walking, it got darker and darker, and the rain started to come down harder. There was thick woods on the left and the right of us. We could not see a thing. You could sense in our voices that the nervousness as we believed we were going to have to spend the rest of the night out there, possibly having to endure and get through hypothermia. As we were walking, one of my friends, who was a bit taller by the name of Patrick, said, Guys, I see a light. Now, we could not see it, but he took off. He started to run up this hill through some some thick brush, and we followed him, slipping and sliding. But eventually, we too saw the light. And as we got closer and closer to that light, it got brighter and brighter. Eventually, we reached it to find out that that light was attached to the back of a cabin. When we came around the front of that cabin, we discovered that we were actually back at our campsite. With that, one of the teachers yelled uh, for us and asked us where we had been. And after she rebuked us, she got on a radio and she called for everybody else to come back for we had been found. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because I believe 2020 has felt a lot like that. We started off walking, having fun, exploring, but eventually it started to get dark. The rain started to come down. We don't have a light, and if we're honest, we don't know where we are. We don't know how we're going to get through this. But the good news of the Advent season, friends, is just simply this. Light has come, and light has come in the person of Jesus, and Jesus has come to be God with us. So if you got your Bible, look with me in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Here's what we read. The birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now Matthew tells us that Jesus' birth was supernatural, but it was also very ordinary. Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and a betrothal was basically like an engagement on steroids. The only way for a betrothal to be broken is through a legal agreement or a divorce. And not only do we see that she's betrothed, but what would normally happen after a betrothal? People would get married, they'd consummate that marriage, and then they would start a family. However, Matthew tells us that Mary isn't just betrothed, but she's also with what? She's with child. And the child she is with was not put there by Joseph, but by who? The Holy Spirit. Now, picture, imagine what must have been going through Mary's mind. Here she is. She's never been with a man. She is engaged. She is not married, and she's with child. Also, imagine what was possibly going through Joseph's mind. Think of the betrayal, the hurt he might have been experiencing. We don't necessarily know exactly what was going on there. We'll find that out here in a minute, but what we want to notice right now is what Matthew is telling us, that this baby, this Jesus that has come, is what? Fully God and fully man. That he is God in a human bod. You see, Jesus' birth was amazing, but there was nothing necessarily extraordinary about it. Nothing necessarily different of any physical birth. You see, the birth of Jesus was a holy night, yes, but it definitely was not a silent one. I watched all three of my children come into this world, and it was anything but silent. Doctors and nurses were coming in and out of the room, it was chaotic. They were commanding out orders. On my ringtone when my son was born, on my ringtone was Beastie Boys. What you, what you, what you want? And on my wife's phone was cake. No phone, no phone. And each and every time my parents called from Phoenix, we were hearing what you, what you, what you want? No phone, no phone. You've got doctors, you got nurses, you got Beastie Boys, you got cake. You've got just a very noisy, noisy experience. And in the same way, Jesus' birth was filled with noise. Absolutely, Jesus cried. And as he was born, his family was around, and he was also surrounded by animals. But don't miss this. Jesus was born just like us. You see, Jesus had to fill up diapers. Jesus learned to talk. Jesus learned to walk. Jesus experienced everything that you and I do as human beings. Think about physically what he might have felt or experienced. Hunger, fatigue, pain. Jesus had to be taught mentally how to say mommy and daddy and learn as we do. And Jesus also experienced what we do emotionally. He laughed. He wept. He cried. He knows the pain of losing a friend to death close to him. Jesus knows what it's like to have a troubled soul. And why is all this important? Well, this God who's come to be with us, friends, listen to me, is not immune to what we experience in this world. You see, the first advent of Jesus is telling us that he can identify with us, that Jesus can identify. He is familiar with our suffering. He is familiar with our struggles. But Matthew tells us that he's not only basically a human, but Jesus is also fully God. He's fully human and he's fully God. Twice in this text, Matthew says that Jesus was brought about by the Holy Spirit, if you will. That is the Holy Spirit who took the pre-existent Jesus and made him into a human body. And what Jesus did is he became incarnate, took on flesh, moved into the neighborhood in Bethlehem, all by the power of the Holy Spirit. As these months get cold and as these days get colder, one of the things that I enjoy doing is eating chili. Now, you've got regular chili, but then you've got something called chili con carne. What's the difference? Well, chili con carne is chili with what? With meat. And I would argue that chili with meat glorifies God in a way regular chili cannot. And what Matthew is telling us here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who made Jesus with meat, if you will. Gave Jesus bones, skin, and a human mind. And Jesus not only displayed that he was a human being... But also Jesus displayed that he was God. He healed the sick. He multiplied the bread and the fish. He calmed the storms. He raised the dead and he forgave sin. Now up to this point, we have not necessarily experienced this situation from Joseph's perspective. What might he be thinking? Well, Matthew tells us in verse 19. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not uncommon for people when they look at the birth narrative of Jesus to completely forget about Joseph. And this is a huge mistake. And here's the reason why. You see, many, when they look at Joseph, tend to only think of his family. If we were to get Joseph's Ancestry.com or his 23andMe report, we would discover that Joseph's great-great-great-grandfather was the mighty King David. This is important for God told David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that from his descendants, from his line, would come a king who would reside on an eternal throne. And in Jesus, God is keeping that promise. Because of his relationship to David, guess what? Joseph is qualified to serve as Jesus' adopted father. Yet, not only do we see that he is qualified to serve as Jesus' adopted father, but throughout this passage, we see Joseph's faith in action. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine what must have been going through Joseph's mind as he heard the news of Mary's pregnancy. I imagine he was deeply hurt. Who wouldn't be, right? But though we may not know necessarily what he was feeling, We do see from the text what he is thinking. And what is Joseph thinking? He's thinking of divorce. But notice the way in which Joseph was planning to divorce Mary, even with the possibility of being betrayed, being extremely hurt. He did not want to bring her into any more public shame. Think about that in regards to the way you and I handle pain and hurt in our lives. I can't help but to think that a lot of us, when we're hurt, we immediately go on social media, right? We take away all the pictures with us and that person in them. We then have to put out our story to get it out there before that person because we've got a reputation to consider. But that's not the case with Joseph. He didn't want to bring Mary into any more shame that was already there. And because he was a just man, he made up his mind to divorce her in the most discreet way possible. However, before he went about with his plan, he decided to go to sleep, and an angel of the Lord showed up to him and said to him that this was no ordinary birth, that he was to take Mary as his wife, and he was to give the child within her womb a name, and it is in those names that we see what this Advent season is all about. Look at verse 21, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. She, the virgin, will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, names are extremely important, and oftentimes names, especially in this culture, had significant meaning. Each one of my kids, their names mean something. For instance, my son's name means faithful young warrior. And that was our prayer for his life as he was coming into this world that he would be a faithful young warrior devoted to God. My eldest daughter, her name means journey devoted to God. And my youngest daughter, her name means princess devoted to God. Again, those names were the prayers that we had for my children as they were coming into this world, that they would be devoted to God. My name just simply means crossroads. And my mom would tell me when I was younger that I was always at a crossroads between good and evil and just trying to figure that out. The angel tells Joseph to take Mary as his wife and to name the boy in her womb, what? Jesus. And what does that mean? It simply means the Lord saves. And with that name, Advent is telling you and me that the salvation we all long for has come into this world. You see, all of us here this morning long for salvation. All of us are looking for someone or something to heal and to restore us. We know that this world is broken. We know that something is wrong and that things aren't the way they should be. And sadly, because many people don't know the right problem or the actual problem, they tend to look for insufficient saviors to solve it. How would you answer this question? How would you fix what is wrong with the world? Think about that for a second. How would you fix what is wrong with this world? Immediately, some of us start to think about education, or possibly politics, or maybe some sort of social cause. I can remember several years ago in another city, sitting down with somebody and asking them what was wrong with the city. His response was that people don't tend to respect each other like they should. Some people are like racist, and some people just are marginalizing people in society. And when I asked him how would he fix this problem, his answer was simply this, education. Education we need better education. If we just got better schools and better cultural awareness, then all these things would be solved. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. Education is a good thing. Politics can be a good thing. Social causes can be a good thing. All I would say is just this. You and I, we are more educated than ever before. You and I, we are more political than ever before. And we are involved in more social causes than ever before. And we're just as broken as we were before. What Matthew is telling us is that Jesus has not come to solve an educational problem. Jesus has not come to solve a political problem. Jesus has not come to solve a a social problem. Rather, Jesus has come to fix a sin problem. But what is sin? There's an old pastor by the name of Tim Keller who defines sin like this. Check it out. Sin isn't only doing bad things. It's more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. Each and every year after the Christmas season, we enter into a season in which we're reminded that we have to pay taxes. And some of you are like, gee, thanks, Merry Christmas, right? But think about it. Let's say that somebody decides to cheat on their taxes. What reason would you give for them cheating on their taxes? Somebody would say, well, maybe they're just a bad person or they're sinful. And though that may be true, what is the root? I would argue that it's possible that the root is through the accumulation of money that that person has gained a status and a comfort that is more important to them than God and His favor. You see, the problem with the world, guys, is sin. Each and every one of us has given a God-like status to someone or something in our lives. And the Bible is clear that when you and I do that, we are alienated from God and, and basically we are under His judgment to be separated from Him for all eternity. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans three twenty three. He says it like this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And what is the Greek word there for all? It's all, each and every one of us. Three chapters later, in Romans six twenty three he says this, For the wages of sin is death. You see, a wage, friends, is a payment. And just like you do work and you get a payment, because of our sin, we deserve a payment. And what is that payment? It is death. When I was younger, each and every Christmas Eve, uh, we would go over to my grandparents' house to celebrate. And I had like 10 to 15 cousins. And what they would do is they would get a family friend to dress up as Santa Claus. And he would come into the house at a certain point in the evening. And he would hand a present to each and every one of my cousins. And we would go up in front of all our family and in front of all of our cousins. And we would receive our present. When it came my turn to go up to receive my present, I watched as Santa pulled out of his sack a bundle of sticks and he handed it to me. Now that year I had not been very good. And so I ended up receiving a bundle of sticks. Now, later, I got an actual present, but the point was clear. What did I deserve that year? Sticks. Many of us, we deserve sticks and coal in our stockings, but the Bible says we deserve something far worse. What is that? We deserve death. San, or G, or God, sorry, God is not up in heaven, checking his list and checking it twice to find out who's naughty or nice. Why? Because God knows each and every one of us have been naughty. Paul says it very clearly. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. But what I love about this verse is that Paul doesn't leave it there. He uses one of my favorite words in all of the Bible. And it's the word but. And what usually follows the word but? Good news. Listen to what he says in Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've got to love the big butts of the Bible, for the big butts of the Bible cannot lie. And what comes after this but? Really good news. And what is that good news? Emmanuel, God with us. You see, by sending Jesus, God has come to save us from our sin problem. How? Well, the essence of sin and idolatry Is man substituting himself or something else for God? But the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Let me say it again. The essence of sin and idolatry is man substituting himself or something else for God. But the essence of salvation is man substituting himself or the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. You see, this baby would grow up to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, and to rise again so that all those who trust in him could be made right with God. And when I decided to marry my wife, Jess, I didn't send somebody else to do it because in matters of love, it is important for one to go himself. And in the incarnation, in the first advent, when light came into this world, when Jesus came, what God was doing was showing us what what you and I could never do for ourselves, what you and I could never do in our power and might, that he was sending Jesus to do what? To bring us back to God. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, fallen man is not an imperfect human being that just needs improvement. Rather, fallen man is a rebel who must lay down his arms. And when you and I encounter the love of Jesus, I believe we will joyfully lay down our arms and go back to God. This is defined in the biblical word repentance. And when God tells you and me to repent, he's not just telling us to stop. He's not just saying, stop doing what you're doing. Get, stop doing that. But rather, what he is saying is stop, turn around, and come back to me. You see, in Matthew chapter 1, what he is doing is he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 7. 700 years before Jesus would come to this earth, Isaiah said that the Messiah would be the one to come to save us, but he would also be the one to be God with us. What is so amazing about this text, friends, is that Jesus didn't just die for your sins and go up to heaven to ghost you. But rather, Jesus not only came to save you, but he also came to be with you always. This Christmas is going to be different than years past. For many of us, we're not going to be able to gather with the friends and family like we used to. And it can end up being very, very lonely. Yet for those of you who are trusting in Jesus right now, you need to hear this. You are not alone. You see, Jesus came here to this earth. He moved into the neighborhood. He took on flesh to be God with us. And everything in Jesus's ministry is about being with him. When he called his disciples, he called them to be what? With him. And in Matthew 28, what does Jesus say? He says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for your sins and he rose again so that he could be with you, reside in you, and send his spirit to be living within you, that Jesus is close to you right now. And you have to hear this. So many of us, as we go through this season, we are hurting, we are lonely. But if you are in Christ, you are not alone. See, to all the single people right now who feel alone and left out, if you're in Jesus, guess what? He is with you. To all the married people that are in a marital relationship and you feel just as alone. Hear me clearly. If you're in Christ, Jesus is with you. To all the servicemen and servicewomen who are overseas right now serving our country and they can't come home for Christmas this year and they feel alone. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, Jesus is with you. To all those college students right now are trying to decide if they're going to stay at school or come home, they don't necessarily know what to do. They feel lost. If you're in Christ, guess what? Jesus is with you. And to all those in middle school and high school and elementary school that have been in this time of social distancing and you feel all alone, listen to me. If you know Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, guess what? He is is with you. This story, this, this Advent season is about Jesus coming to save us, but also, listen to me, it's also about him being God with us. So Joseph wakes up and what does he do? Listen to what it says, verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the, Lord, as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Here we see Joseph's faith in action. He has just heard that salvation has come, and what does he do? He does everything the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. He takes Mary as his wife. He shows self-control by not being intimate with her until the, the baby was born. And when the baby is born, what does he do? He names him Jesus. The Lord saves Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 that a great light has come into this world. And this light isn't a light bulb. It's not a candle. It's not a fire. All of those things can be extinguished. All of those things can burn out. But the light that has come into this world cannot burn out. The light that God sent into this world is not a what, but a who. And his name is Jesus. You see, Advent is emphatically telling you and me We can never get to heaven on our own. So God came for us in Christ, in Jesus, to save us. But also, don't miss this, to be God with us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your love that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Father, that right now, for all those who are watching, I pray that your your presence is just felt in their lives, For those who don't know Jesus, I pray that you open up their hearts to see Jesus clearly, that Jesus is the one who's come to save, but Jesus is also the one who's come to be with them. And so, Father, I pray that they will trust in Christ right now. And, Father, I pray for all those who are trusting in Jesus, that as we go through this season, this Advent season, may we remember that you have not left us as orphans, But through Jesus, you have brought us into your family as your sons and your daughters, placing your spirit within us because you are God with us. So Father, I just pray that you work and have your way in us now. We pray also in your name, Jesus. Amen.